Father, it is indeed a blessing to come before You this morning as we recognize that You are the God of the universe, as You desire to not only make contact, God, but to transform our very essence and being. Lord, this morning we ask that You would speak to us, that You would move in us, but Lord, most of all, that You would transform us. God, we pray for the needs around our community, for our officials, for our government. Lord, for those in authority, we pray a blessing. God, for those in authority in our church and for the leaders and the elders, for the teachers who right now are teaching children. And Lord, for our Spanish mission where they are learning the Word of God. Lord, for all of those things that are going on right now for our youth, we pray a blessing upon them. God, for our members who are overseas who are serving You right now, God, and who are serving our country, I pray a blessing on them. Lord, I pray for discernment and wisdom for our government and our officials, Lord. God, I pray that as a church we would be a ministering body to this community and to those around the world. And God, I pray that You would use us, that You would open up the eyes of our heart and let us see how You long for us to invest our lives and our resources in Your kingdom so that You might be glorified, so that we might see more and better followers of Christ bring glory to You. Lord, I pray that we would be at a receiving church, that we would be a church that equips people and that sends people out with a hope in the light of the Gospel. Lord, I pray that You would remind us that that is our purpose, that is our mission. And that, Lord, though Satan would come and want to steal that vision, want to steal that mission for us to put our efforts on other things, Lord, I pray that You would bring us back to center of Christ and Him crucified and that our purpose is to know You and to make You known so that You might receive the glory. So this morning, Lord, we thank You for what You are doing, for what You have done, and for what You will do as You speak to us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. The blessing of investing. The blessing of investing. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 6, beginning with the 19th verse, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not break in and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will be your heart. I remember growing up in southwest Louisiana... Uh, I was one of four boys. There are four men in our family. And uh, I loved to take risk. I loved to take risk. And one of my favorite things to do, now there were also the risks that I would take that involved wheels and going off things. And I won't go into that because I know there are children and teenagers, so I'll try not to propagate that too far. But I love to do that. But another thing that I used to do is I loved to go back into the woods. Where we lived, we were about two miles from back of our house were swamps. And I loved to go out there and get as far out as I could to find new places and new things. And often I'd get lost. And then it would be fun to just try to get back. And I know you're thinking, you're, you're weird. Uh, but then I realized after I got older, I remember one time I went out there and I was walking and I had on rubber boots uh, because it would be so muddy out there. And I remember one time I got stuck and I couldn't get out. And so I literally had to finally get myself out of my boots and, uh, and then go back up and get my dad up at home to come back and get my boots because they, they were so far down into the mud. Well, then I decided, you know what, I'm going to start taking the horse. Uh, I think that will be easier and safer. And so then I would go even further out in the swamps, and I'd get out there as far as I could and get lost and then try to find my way back. 
I remember one time it took 12 hours. My parents were not happy. Uh, but that was such an adventure. I love taking those risks. And a lot of people take risks in lives today. And there are really two, two types of risks that I call them. I call them there are greed risks and there are grace risks. There are risks that we take because of the sake of greed. I want to make money and I want to make it fast. So I'm going to buy a ton of lottery tickets. I'm going to get into some get-rich-quick scheme. I'm going to uh, I'm going to try to drink as much as I can till I feel better or take something other substance. I'm going to eat as much as I can. I'm going to spend as much as I can. I'm going to get as much as I can so people will notice it. And it's all about taking a risk for the sake of our greed. But then there are grace risks. There's risks that we take when we invest in people. <clears throat> people who maybe don't know Christ people who maybe have had hard times, people who need assistance or help. Maybe it's children. Maybe it's preschoolers. Maybe it's youth. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's somebody at work. And we take a grace risk. We determine that we're going to invest in them, recognizing that it's really about helping them and helping the kingdom. You see, here's how you can define whether it's a grace risk or a greed risk. When it's a greed risk, it's about me. I hope somebody notices. I hope I feel better. That's why I'm doing it. But a grace risk, you may not get any attention. The grace risk is, will it do something for the kingdom of God? Will it really help this person to come to a place where they can sustain themselves or where they can come to know Christ or where they can understand God's love? That's a grace risk. And can I tell you, we've all been called to take grace risks. As I'm reading this passage right here, it all comes down very simply to make it in three points what we can do with our life. We can do three things with our life. Number one, we can waste it. We can waste our lives. And people do that all the time. They waste it on substance abuse. They waste it on trying to get as much money as they can and then they look up one day and they've worked all their life, they've sacrificed their family, they've sacrificed their health, and they have nothing left. Or may they, maybe they just find become so self-centric and they become so egocentric that they never really accomplish anything. And they die one day and all we can say is they worked hard or maybe they had a lot. You know, I see that in the Scriptures. I see the life of Samson. Here's Samson. He's judge of his country. He's over the children of Israel. He's the judge. He's not only the judge, but he's the strongest man that ever lived. And he has great esteem. And every guy wanted a body like his. Every guy wanted to look like him. He could have been All-American in every sport. But he took it and he used it for his own ego. He drank what he wanted to drink as much as he wanted to. He would often get drunk. He would eat whatever he wanted to eat. He would go and do whatever he wanted to do because no one could stop him. And ultimately, he wastes his life because of his greed, because of his self-consumption. He ends up wasting this great privilege of tremendous strength and ability. We see it also happen even in the New Testament. We see Judas Iscariot, who is with Jesus for three years, who had the opportunity to make eternal history. But what does he do? Well, because of his nationalistic zeal, because he thought the Roman government probably shouldn't be there and he could be a hero and even maybe make some money out of it, he sells Christ out. He wastes all that time with Jesus, 
all that opportunity, he wastes his life. Then we see sometimes people just spend it. They just exist. They don't do anything really bad, anything really good. They just exist. They just kind of sit on the fence. We see Demas in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9 and 10. Paul speaks about Demas, how he had gone with him, but Demas loved this present world and he's abandoned me. And so now I'm here alone. He, he got close, but he quit. Or we see Nicodemus. Nicodemus, who we see three times in the Gospel of John. We see how he comes in John chapter 3 and he comes and he asks Jesus, how can you be born again? And he hears the message, but he can't get there. And even later on, he defends Jesus and he says, look, we're not having a, a, a fair trial here for him. This is a mock trial. And he, he speaks out against that injustice, but he never picks up the cross. We never see him committing his life to Christ. He just kind of rides on the fence. He spends his life doing some so-called good things, but he never takes that risk. He never makes that commitment. But there's the third thing you can do with your life. You can invest it. And we see the Apostle Paul, a man who has radically changed, who is at the pinnacle of his career and of his religious establishment. He's probably very well off financially, very well respected, very educated, but he decides to invest his life in the cause of Christ for the sake of the Gospel. And he is beaten, he is imprisoned, he loses his titles, he is mocked, and he is ultimately killed. But he invests his life. And today we have much of the New Testament because of his influence and his writings. He invested his life in eternal purposes. We see also uh, Esther. Don't you love the story of Esther in the Old Testament? She's a simple Hebrew girl whose parents have died and she's being raised by her cousin Mordecai who raised her in the faith and the truth of the Torah and of God's Word. And, but there comes a time where the king of that time who the Israelites have been exiled to the Persian Empire and Xerxes, who is the mighty king over most of the world, known world at this time, he is a bastion of waste. Matter of fact, we see in the first chapter, he loved to have banquets, and he's had banquets for six months. All he's done is eat and drink and show off his stuff. He shows everybody his wealth, and after about six months of drunken stupor and having everybody participate, he decides, you know what? I've showed you all my treasures. I've shown you my, my throne. I've shown you my castle and my empire. You know what else you need to see? i got this really hot wife. I'm going to bring her before all you drunk slugs. And I'm going to bring her up here and show her off, probably scantily clothed. And I'm going to bring her in. And Queen Vashti says, no thanks, not really interested. And because of that, and because he's drunk, and because of his good friends who are his advisors are drunk, they come up and they go, well, we need to get rid of her. If she doesn't come, then all the other women aren't going to listen. And we need to make sure that all the women listen when we talk to them. And so let's make the edict that we're banishing her. I'm sure that worked. And uh, look, that'll make all the wives listen to what we say. And in their drunken stupor, they decide to make that ridiculous decision. Later on, he comes to his senses and realizes, what have I done? Well, you don't have a wife anymore. You banished her and you made it a law. And so she's exiled. And so he decides, well, I need another wife. Well, those same wise advisors who drink and eat too much and love to do banquets and parties say, we've got a great way to come up with a queen, a great position of honor, someone who will help lead us. I know a great way we'll do it, and we'd never do this in our day and age. We'll just have a beauty contest. So that's what they do. They have a beauty contest, and everybody comes from their province. There's 127 women that come, and through God's divine election, uh, we see that Esther is chosen. She's not even a Persian. Matter of fact, she's a Jew, but she has the name Esther. 
And uh, later on, she is chosen. She becomes the queen. And later on, uh, we find Haman, one of his advisors, who, said, who gets so mad at Mordecai, her cousin, because when Haman will go by, Mordecai won't bow and worship him. And it makes him mad. And he becomes so consumed, there's somebody that won't worship me, that I want to think of a way to exterminate all those Jews. And so he comes up with a method, and he goes before his drunk king. He preys upon his, uh, his appetite, which doesn't seem too hard to do, and then gets him to say, can we basically get rid of this people? And he says, that's, that's fine with me. Do whatever you need to do. Well, then Mordecai finds out about it, and he goes to his young cousin, Esther, who has become the queen, and he says, Mordecai, or Mordecai says, Haman is going to have us killed. He's going to have us exterminated. You must go to the king and speak on our behalf. But Esther says, look, I can't go. He hasn't even summoned me for 30 days. And you know what happened last time. I mean, if I go without his permission, without him summoning me, he may have me executed or at least exiled. He'll probably remove me. And Esther was probably thinking, it's safe here right now. I mean, I'm in the palace. I mean, i got people waiting on me. And I'm not even having to see that drunk slug very often. I mean, life is good right now. I'll just stay here. And what does Mordecai said? Hey, don't think that if you don't take advantage of this opportunity that you won't be found and you won't be persecuted in the end as well. Matter of fact, he says this line, For who knows that you have not been placed here for such a time as this. Let me help you understand. Esther, yes, it is a risk. You're taking a risk, but you're taking a great risk on behalf of our countrymen. And let me tell you, you have been placed here for such a time as this. You can try to save yourself, and you can play it safe and easy, and you will probably be okay for now, but one day it will probably happen to you. But even bigger than that, you will have missed your purpose. You will have missed your mission in life. You were put here for such a time as this. Can I tell you this? Each one of us has been given a mission. See, God has a purpose for each one of you in here. But you know who else has a purpose for you? Satan has a purpose. So God has a mission and Satan has a mission. God wants you to have life and to have it abundantly and to make Him known and to make Him known to the others of the world so that He might receive glory. God has a mission for you to know Him and make Him known. But Satan has also a mission. And it's for you to be consumed with the greed of yourself. It's for you to kind of what I call, uh, Ortberg calls it a shadow mission. Your dark mission in life. Your dark mission in life. That dark mission is just do whatever you want to do for your own sake. Drink all you want to drink until you feel the buzz. Eat all you can until you feel happy. Do whatever it is that you do till it makes you feel good. Spend, make, Get cheap, whatever it is. Get yourself to the position to where you feel good about yourself. Whatever that costs. And forget everyone else. I have a dark mission. You want to know what my dark mission is? I'll just go ahead and confess it because it's good accountability for me. Here's my dark mission in life. Here's my shadow mission. It's this. I want to sit in a recliner in a soundproof room with a big screen and I want to watch ESPN and anything I want and I want to drink all I want and I want to eat all the candy, all the Cokes, all the ice cream, all the fried food and just sit there and nobody mess with me, nobody talk to me and let me just sit here and watch everything I want, drink everything I want, eat everything I want and everybody leave me alone. That's my dark mission in life. That's what my dark side wants to do. 
And that's why at my house, my wife won't let me have a recliner. That's why if you come to my house, there's no ice cream in the freezer because I would eat it all. And that's why we only get four stations on our TV. Because I have a dark mission in life. And it's to feed my greed. And that's what I want to do when I'm in that dark side, when I get selfish. Amen or oh me. About half the men go, yeah, I got that mission too. I was too... I was hoping to do that today. <laughs> and women, you got your own thing, whether it's to buy everything you can buy, spend everything you can spend, whatever it is that you do. Okay? We all have a dark mission. We all have that shadow mission that we will... It's kind of our default. It's like when we pull away from God, it's like that's where we go. We just kind of naturally kind of go over there. And Satan's going, come on, you deserve it. You know what? Hey, you went to church. I don't know what else they want. <laughs> Take a break. You know, hit the button, man. You're off clock. Let me ask you this. What spirit is that whispering to you? Is that the spirit of light the spirit of darkness? Jesus addresses this, by the way. He goes on. He uses the eye, and the eye is a metaphor for the heart or for the attitude of our heart is the metaphor that's used here in verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. So just replace the attitude. The eye is the attitude. It's what you see. It's what you consume. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is the darkness? What about you this morning? Are you wasting your life? Are you just spending it and existing? Or are you investing your life? What are you investing in today? We're going to look at Philippians chapter 4 here in just a moment if you want to turn to it. And there's Paul right here shows us how we can take a grace risk. We talk about how our greed risk, what we'll do. We'll just let things go. We won't try too hard. We all know people who have had great opportunities. That I went to school with a guy who um, played football in high school, a tremendous athlete, should have got, got kicked off a couple times, kept bringing him back. Went to college, got kicked out of his first college. Uh, went to another college, got kicked out of that college. Then got drafted in the first round because he couldn't go to college anymore because he'd been kicked out. And then got drafted in the first round by the Miami Dolphins. Had been playing, was, was a leading rusher in the NFL, and then committed another felony. And now he's in jail because he's had three felonies on his record. And I look and I go, what a waste! What a waste! What a tremendous waste! And we all know people who have wasted. We know people who just spend their life. They never take a risk. They just kind of stay where they are, stay real comfortable. I'm not going to try anything new. I'm not going to go anywhere. And certainly wouldn't lend anything that I have because somebody might break it. I just want to keep all my toys right here in the box and keep them safe. And I'm just going to play the safe life. I'm just going to spend it and I'm just going to exist. But most of us are where we are today because somebody invested in us. Somebody took time and they invested, whether it was our parents or whether it was someone outside. That. Some of, most of us are where we are spiritually because someone invested I always tell you, think about a, a guy in fourth grade, uh, Ron Gresham, who passed away not long ago. For the first time, I, care, I gave a rip about anything the Bible said because that man cared about me. He made an investment, and I was a silly fourth grade boy. I mean, I remember sneaking out the window while he was praying, doing all that crazy stuff. But he was the first time that the light turned on for me. And there were several people in that process before it really got enough light to see in there. Uh, it was pretty dark in my head most of the time. And like I said, if I put the default, it will go right back there right now. But who are you investing in? What are you investing in today? Paul, we know, 
chose to invest his whole life in the kingdom of God. And then he speaks here about what investment means and how we can risk in a grace manner to make an impact. And he's speaking to the Philippian church and he's encouraging them for what they have done. He starts in verse 10 and he says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you had concern, but you had no opportunity to show it. The first thing that we do before we make an investment, we recognize that there's an opportunity. There's an opportunity. Not just that there's a need, but there's an opportunity. In other words, here's a need, but there's also a vision of where this need being met can go. Of what can be accomplished if I make this investment. It's more than just throwing a quarter or a dollar at something. It's getting involved with our lives. It's making an impact no matter what the cost. Paul says, you saw the opportunity here. and it, You couldn't do anything about it at first, but now you can and now you are. And he says, I'm not saying this because I have a need, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I'm in, whether I have plenty or much. He moves on and says in verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In verse 14, he said, Yet it was good for you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again. You helped me again and again. You invested me over and over, though I know it was hard. And not that I am looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. I'm looking at this as your investment. You're making an investment in the kingdom. You see the opportunity, but now you're making the investment. You're investing in things eternally. And Paul most certainly knew the teachings of Jesus from that passage we had read in Matthew chapter 6 of storing up yourselves treasures in heaven and making an impact here on earth. I have received full payment, even more, I am amply supplied now that I have received from Ephroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. You have the opportunity. You've made the, you've made the investment. And I realize it is a sacrifice because most of the folks there, they didn't have a lot of money. But they said, we will make sacrifices. And he said, this sacrifice, where it used to, we had to make sacrifices of animals and maybe even grain. But now this sacrifice is what you're giving. It's what you're offering. And it is a sweet aroma to God. And then he makes one of the greatest promises, one of my favorite promises in all Scripture. Now, it's also one of the most abused promises in all Scripture. But he makes this promise in Philippians 4.19, the very next verse. He says, For my God shall supply all your needs according to His riches and glory through Christ Jesus. First of all, we see the source. We see the source. He says, my God, this is the source that is going to meet your needs according to His riches and glory through Christ Jesus. Secondly, He gives the scope. The source and then the scope. The scope is this. The scope is your needs. I will meet your needs. He doesn't say I'm going to meet your greeds. doesn't mean you'll get an Xbox or a bigger house. Okay? But I'm going to meet your needs. And then he says, why? For my glory. So that I might be glorified. Not so that you might be glorified. So that I, the kingdom, might be glorified. Now let me tell you what this verse means and let me tell you what it doesn't mean. Here's what it doesn't mean. If you put, offering, if you put money in the offering plate, you'll get rich. It's not what it means. It's not what he's promising. Or... If you just have lots of bills and you put yourself 
in a position where you've gotten into a lot of things you shouldn't have, boy, you give this and God will take care of all that. He's not promising that either. You know what he's promising? He says, I'm going to meet your needs. That's what I'm promising. I'm going to meet your needs according to His riches and glory through Christ Jesus. You know what that means? That means that you're going to need to sit down and assess, what is it that I need in life? Because here's what God doesn't do. It's kind of like the little story of the girl who uh, had three tests and she decided to, to study for two and pray for the other one. And so she studied for English and math and she made an A and, and she decided just to just say, God, would you help me make an A on my social studies? And she made an F. And her teacher decided, uh, okay, okay, well, I'm going to let you take this again because you don't normally do this. And she made an F again. She goes, I don't understand. I prayed and asked God to give me an F. I don't know why I didn't uh, hear my prayer. She goes, did you read your material? Nope. She goes, God wants you to read the material, and then he'll help you remember the material. So many times we want to just go spend it all and then say, God, replace it. <laughs> God, meet my needs. I got more house, more car, more everything. And God, you need to come in here and take care of it. I can't give right now because... You know, I've got to meet my needs over here. I've got to take care of it. And God says, I never promised you I'd meet your needs. I'll meet your needs. I'm going to make sure you're provided for. I believe this is a promise. Here's what I believe. And I really believe this. And God has done this in my life. I think and I believe, just like the widow's two copper coins. Here's a woman who doesn't have anything. She's only got two coins. And she gives it to the temple. Never mind there's corruption going on in the temple during that time. And Jesus doesn't go, hey, hold on. Don't put your money there. That preacher's a crook. Okay, he never says that. And what he says is, you know what? She's given out of her poverty. And you know what I believe? I don't believe she ever got rich, but I believe her needs were met. She didn't go without because she didn't have those two coins. I promise you God replaced those two coins. And he probably replaced more than those two coins. She had her needs met because she trusted God. He will supply our needs according to his riches and glory. It may mean that we have to get out of our budget and cut some greeds off. Matter of fact, I can probably tell you that that's probably part of it. Just go ahead and tell you right now. There are some things that probably have to be cut. But can I tell you this? God will, you will never not make your house payment because you gave. You know, I'm losing my home because I've been given the kingdom of God. It's not going to happen. You may lose your home because you bought too much home and because you're wasting money in other areas, but it won't be there. I believe that promise. It's been true when I was making, after I got out of school and was making $100 a month, $100 a week, excuse me, that was bad, 100 a month. I was making $100 a week, and it was true when I was making $1,000 a month. God has always met my needs according to His glory. Now, that doesn't mean I got everything that I wanted. Matter of fact, I usually don't. And can I tell you this? I know we're in the middle of more to the point right now. And we we started praying about what we would do. This has just been a really bad time for us to be doing that. I don't know how you feel. Maybe you're thinking, this is a real bad time to be a building campaign. It's been a really bad time for me. It seems like ever since we started praying for this, things have started breaking at my house. The refrigerator goes out. car needs an air conditioner. We need to sell this one. And, you know, things keep happening. We keep going to the doctor. I was thinking, you know, maybe we could delay this thing. It would be a lot more convenient for me later. Because uh, right now, these aren't just, this just aren't working real well. And God just kind of convicted me again this week as I was reading through this passage, one of my favorite verses. I don't know how I forget it sometimes. You know what? I'm going to meet your needs. You're not going to not have because you give. Now, there will be some things that you don't, you don't get to waste anymore. There's some things that you don't get to splurge on anymore. Yeah? You, you'll probably lose a lot of those things. And that's kind of the decision we have to make. That's where we kind of go back and I'm going to do the dark mission. I'm not going to do the light mission. I'm going to do God's mission. I'm going to just go to default and do mine. You know how I want that stuff. You know how I've been wanting that. You know, I got this. 
I got this TV, but I want a bigger one. You know, they got to come in another computer and this one, and, and now they got all this stuff added onto it. And if I don't get that, I just I'm never going to feel happy with my computer. I mean, have you all been there? We've all been there, you know what I mean? And the truth of it is, I can only check email anyway. It's not like I can do that many things, but I want more RAM and more stuff on my computer. I want lights. Hey, and you can do a video on there. Why do I watch movies? Well, I don't watch movies. I've never watched a movie day in my life on the video I do have. I wouldn't know how to do it. But we find ourselves hearing that consumption. My dark says, you need it. You need it. Your friends have it. They have it over there. Go get one. Go get another one. My God shall supply all your needs according to His riches and glory through Christ Jesus. So, we come back to it. What are you going to do with your life? Are you going to waste it? Are you going to spend it? Are you going to invest it? There are opportunities here for you to invest your life. And can I tell you, there will be some of the things will be, that's not, that's not what I wanted to do. I'll just tell you that right now. I'm excited. I don't think anybody's going to even see me do that. You can pretty much know that's probably God then, okay? Because God's going to stretch you. And that's where the grace for my grace is sufficient, and I will make your needs met according to my riches and glory through Christ Jesus. It's in His, in our weakness, He is made strong. When it's all about us, we don't need Him. What about you this morning? What mission are you going to invest in? Your shadow mission or your light mission? Your flesh mission or the mission that God has for you? To know Him and to make Him known. The greed for the grace.